Welcome to season four of Handpicked. This is about people grilling me to get my business experience, to help them grow their And what's great is we get to learn, discover and meet incredible business owners who are really up to some very interesting things. Anyway, enjoy. Maybe you've got some questions for the next season. Bill has got a growing and thriving business. And in this episode, we talk about how does he scale it even more? Hey, Bill, welcome to Handpicked. Before we get started, what about you just put into context for the listeners what your business is all about? Amazing, Naomi. Uh, firstly, thank you for the opportunity to talk to someone as illustrious as yourself. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll in, take a compliment too. <laughs> and in terms of uh, our business, it's a firm called PX Partners. It's a boutique governance risk and compliance firm. Uh, obviously very topical in the news at the moment, but at PX we like to do things a little bit differently. So we see the magic sauce in the market as very much having practitioner experience, which is what PX stands for. All of our practitioners and all of our firm are people who have lived and breathed the experience in the client's shoes. So we're all industry veterans. We're really trying to solve that need in the market. But fundamentally, the consulting firm has three pillars. The first one very much being your standard people business, really solving, I guess, customer challenges as they approach us. The second one being a technology pillar, which is a product that we've rolled out to a number of financial services firms. And the last one being a collective, which is an area that we're interested in really, you know, picking your brains on which is around, I guess, partnerships, alliances, and how we franchise this out. Um, so that's kind of us in a nutshell. We move a lot of shapes around in PowerPoints, but typically solving, I guess, client needs. Okay. So what does a typical customer look like for you? So it's actually pretty broad, Naomi. We've got a fairly large range of clientele. So some of them might be Series A fintechs. We've also got a bunch of insurers that are listed globally and locally. So on the Australian Stock Exchange, the German Stock Exchange, We've got an end-of-life funeral company. Uh, it's a fairly broad mix of clients. It's really anyone that needs some thinking or some thought around how do they design their risk and compliance frameworks is typically the types of people who approach us. Fantastic. How long have you been in business? Uh, it's our third year, so oh. we're still floating. I mean, we'll tap into that a bit later as well. You know, shaky economic times, how does that all kind of fit in? But uh, third year running, so going okay so far. Fantastic. Congratulations. Well, let's get going with your first question. Uh, so first question is really tapping into your deep wealth of experience in the partnership space, uh, I guess, running a platform business. What's the secret sauce in, I guess, making those magic partnerships and alliances work? Well, if I give you my secret sauce, it's no longer a secret sauce, is it, Bill? What, what are the inputs maybe to the secret <laughs> sauce that we can kind of work around? Oh, all right. I'll share my secrets with you. Oh, that's right. That's what Handpicked is all about. Look, Bill, I, I really think that this is such a great approach to how you get growth because you don't have to grow on your own. In fact, there's safety in numbers. So I always think, so if you're in the risk and compliance space, then who else is already serving those customers but that's not their strength? So whether that's professional associations or whether it's accounting firms or whether who, who identify this or the Directors Association, you know, the AICD or, or whatever. So I would definitely look at um, those professional bodies and find out how can you tap into 
The other thing is when I think of partnerships, I think about authority. How do you create awareness for the authority that you have in this space? You mentioned that the PX stands for the professionalism of your consultants. And as such, is there an opportunity to be writing columns or to profile your business to other in other business publications, um, you know, way back in the day, when I, before before I actually started Rebelloon, I had a freelance marketing consultancy, which is not dissimilar in terms of model, um, in terms of it was fee for service and so forth. And the one thing I did to build my authority was I became a columnist in Marketing Magazine. Now I know that was a magazine; and it was back in the very old day. But um, but I do think that how do you demonstrate and show why you are an authority and then that may well attract partners as well. We want to work with them because they have the authority. The flip side of that is who already has the authority that you can tap into. That's a bit around the um, professional associations or other accounting firms and so forth. But if you can get people to refer you, maybe it's maybe it's the banks. Maybe there's also... Um, uh, governments. Where are you located? Uh, so we're Sydney based as well as Melbourne. So two offices so far, um, hopefully expanding around Asia, but we'll see. And, you know, I really do take a lot of steer in terms of building that brand recognition and building, I guess, the authority to your point in terms of being someone that's recognized in a space. Um, you know, you mentioned your awesome column. How do we kind of shift that given the current focus in terms of very cool things like this podcast, um, LinkedIn, social media, is that the current steer from a marketer in terms of how to build brand? Or is it more to your point earlier, I guess, a bit of the focus around industry associations and I guess conferences or is it kind of a pick and mix? It's kind of what works and what sticks. Um, yeah, I, I do think you need to try things and see what works, of course. But I also think about like the the, the problem that you're solving is a very real need for organisations and the obligations on business owners in risk and compliance is only increasing. And there's a real sweet spot in terms of all of a sudden you're no longer a small business or a micro business and the compliance and responsibility goes way up. So who is it that knows that those businesses are getting to this point where they need systems and processes, they need policies, etc. So, you know, maybe that is the banks. They go, oh, we know these people are growing. It's also about making sure that people know that you are an authority, but also how to access your services and making that really seamless um, and easy. Uh, so there is no doubt that um, the sorts of services that you are offering are very valuable for small business. And I would suggest finding um, other uh, people who are already talking to those growing businesses um, and government offices might also be one of them. So, No, I think that makes a lot of sense, Naomi. Um, and I think part of the balance and maybe part of the partnerships is figuring out how to tap into the regulators, particularly a lot of the larger financial services clients we tap into. Um, I'm going to slightly segue then into another question we have. Um, it's really around, I guess, as I alluded to at the start, the kind of uncertain times at the moment. Um, what should you be doing when you're running a cyclical business? What are the things that all of us should be thinking about when so many things are moving, so many things are happening overseas locally? What, what's the advice for us small business in that sense, Naomi? 
So are you saying to me that your business is seasonal? Is that what you mean by cyclical? It is seasonal to a degree. Um, so the, the nature of our work can be split into, I guess, two buckets. Some pieces of work, which are more your standard risk and compliance or obligations, are kind of reoccurring. There's another component that is advisory based, and that tends to be driven by, I guess, budgetary, I guess, measures that are available to a company or different needs in the market. So it's not entirely seasonal, but it's very much going to ebb and flow based on how the economy is going because people are going to have less money to invest. Oh, I get you. Okay, so tell me the business model. Is it uh, fee-for-service? So we've got a – it's typically fee-for-service. That's correct, yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if there's a different model in terms of maybe being a subscription-based service. Mm. And I know that there's some really great uh, websites in the area of um, workplace um, information and rather than being fee-for-service, in other words, every time you call to get the insight or the advice that you need on workplace relations, you actually just have a subscription. And that has really transformed the way that their, um, their profit and loss works. Mm. Um, and some months it might mean that that person takes a lot of service and then they don't hear from them. Um, and so I really think let's look at that business model and see if you can change it. And, um, and also to trial it. Like ask your clients, you know, we're thinking about moving to this subscription-based model. In the long run, it'll probably work out similar or it'll, you'll be better off. But we do know that you have peaks and troughs and budget. It'll allow you to budget. And often that's an issue for businesses is because they're like, well, what am I putting in my um, – Mm. Uh, my um, forecast for this in my um, budget, how much is this going to cost me? And if they know that they can manage that, that's also in their their best interests. And have you typically from your deep experience seen a good mix of how this might work? Because for us, we would imagine a large component of our business is very much fee-for-service, but maybe a component is kind of more subscription or annuity-based. Um and there might, there's probably no magic answer here, but is there any thinking in terms of, say, should this be 70-20? Does it really depend on the nature of services? How does that kind of all fit in there? So one of the things that um, happened in our experiences business is Red Balloon is a gift-giving business. And so that means that we're very, very busy at Christmas and all the gifting times. And we first started by trying to promote um, birthdays and anniversaries, which happen every single day. Then we moved into um, corporate gifting, which also happens um, more seasonally. But ultimately, um, we provided different services through our different businesses, which is Experience Oz, which is a book and go. So we balanced our, our seasonality effectively by launching different um, products. And I think that, therefore, there might be a certain product that you could launch, which is almost like a triage. It's like your first, um, you know, your first overview of the needs that you have and to give back an assessment and a report. Mm. Um, and, and as you know, there's software that really helps you do that quite easily. And then when you have to deep dive into particular issues, then that's a fee for service. So um, it never hurts to have an introductory product either, something that is not really a big uh, investment so that people can get to know you. I think you've just uh, cracked the nail on its head because I guess part of our second pillar the technology arm is very much a solution for, I guess, product intervention powers. So in financial services, um, there is regulation around what financial service products you can actually distribute and how you manage that. And to your point, that's a much lower entry cost or almost uh, uh, 
easier solution to kind of deploy uh, with an ongoing kind of fee as opposed to a fee for a service. So I think that fits in nicely. The other thing we're thinking through at PX, which is kind of core to our brand and our business, is what we call PX for Good. Um, PX for Good is the belief and the view from myself and my two business partners that all businesses have a social imperative to improve the society they operate in. Um, so part of so it's effectively our CSR statement. There's lots of that. Part of ours is kind of donating 10% of our profits to charity. The question here, though, Naomi, as we think through good business management and how we build this business, um, how do early stage investors view businesses like this where our only goal isn't just shareholders? It isn't just pure profit. It is profit that we want to give back. It is things like pro bono work. It might be a silly question because I think the paradigm has shifted a lot in terms of how people view this, but we'd be interested in your insights. So um, there's no doubt that, you know, the triple bottom line that we used to talk about years ago is now far more about social contribution. That's in a number of ways. So in the clients that you're dealing with, you do need to have a really clear statement about contribution. And investors too, they're looking for, well, am I using my money for good and for social good? But when you say 10% for charity, I'd get really clear about your own person, your um, business's purpose statement, and then align your contributions to your purpose. So for instance, our purpose is we shift the way people experience life. And so for us, it became about making sure that our experiences were inclusive for those people with disabilities. So our investment started to go into things like a hot air balloon that enables uh, wheelchairs, which had never been done before. So uh, what I'm saying is align it to what your purpose is. Have you got your purpose sorted? What Tell us what it is. Um, I think our broad vision uh, that we've collectively agreed on is innovating governance, risk and compliance to benefit everyone, which is rather broad in terms of a purpose. Um, I think as we distill it down to your point and really narrow down, it is really just helping people solve the innate needs of running a business properly without skirting the corners, ensuring that they're quite ethical. So it's kind of to that, I guess... It's a good question. We probably do need to distill a bit, bit further beyond the broad top line statement, which is innovating governance and compliance to help everyone. Yeah, mate, you're putting me to sleep with that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> but what I hear, Bill, is you want to keep people safe. Yeah. You want to keep people safe. You want to keep their customers safe and you want to keep their businesses safe. So underneath all of those words is this real human emotion of safety and what that means to people. So work on that word safety and then out of that can come your social contribution. How are we keeping people safe in a certain community where people are vulnerable? And when you get that level of authentic emotional connection with what you do, it will be transformational. You know, our job is to keep you safe. We keep you out the courts. We keep you out of the regulator's office. We keep you safe. And so really pick up on some uh, emotional words. Your statement at the moment is the what. It's not the why. There's no yeah. emotional connection in it. No, that that's very helpful and very powerful. Uh, I think we'll definitely ruminate. Our we, yeah, it's, it's perfect, actually. <laughs> 
That's great. Yes, we didn't know Handpick does uh, purpose statements on the fly as well. So what else have you got for me, Bill? The other thing we have, which might tie into, I guess, the the purpose statement around safety is at what point do you stick to something versus pivoting in an early-ish business? Um, and so, for example, that could be, you know, our not very good purpose statement that we quickly kind of pivot to versus something like our technology platform. How do we know we should stay the course versus kind of shifting? Um, so it's kind of a broad statement, but it's just helping us narrow down on where do we focus and how do you stay true to conviction? Have you ever heard me talk about the job you're being hired to do before? I've heard of it loosely, but you might have to refresh my memory, Naomi. Yes, well, I might have talked about it already on previous episodes, but I think it's very relevant for this conversation. You see, the only person who can answer that is your customers. I can't answer that question because you've got to understand the role that you play in their lives. What is it the job? And I think it's safety, but it might be something else. So when you understand the role that you are playing for your customers and your clients, you can work out how you can do more of that. So to pivot because you get bored or you think there's a new idea over here is not necessarily the answer. The only people who can answer that question is your customers and you just have to listen to them and uh, and just ask them the questions, you know, not just about what do you think we should do, but what do we do well, what could we do better, um, what role do we play how does this work for you? How can we smooth it out? Have you got anybody else that you know who would like these services? So those levels of conversations, and they happen one-on-one or they can happen in a group. And um, if our customers are telling us they all love the solution, want the solution, but everyone is just waiting and it's a tipping point play, what do you do in that circumstance where the sentiment up front seems pretty good? There's some component of traction, but actually everyone's waiting for the masses before everyone jumps in. What should you be doing then, Naomi? So I remember the very first corporate client that called me was actually Fuji Xerox and they wanted they wanted an incentive program for their resellers and that was a lot of development on our side. And I said, look, I'll do it, but as long as you'll be a reference site. And they said, we'll be a reference site as long as you're any good. So maybe you just need a reference site. Yeah. you got to get one over the line or maybe you give it to them for free. But get a reference site and then use them as your Trojan horse. Yeah. So, Bill, we've had a fabulous conversation. I think we've learned a lot. We've discussed a lot. Um, I'm excited for your business. I think you have a really important role to play uh, in our community to support people in keeping them safe with regulations and compliance. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much. Wow, thanks for listening. Surely there's someone you know who could learn from this too. Please share. Remember to subscribe and we look forward to having you on the next episode of Handpicked. Picked.